You are listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. So Father, as we, uh, as we dig into your word, learn more about you, your son, uh, we pray this morning that that would, that would just be a song that just, just pounds in our hearts, that, that we just want to live every day uh, as a living example of you, of showing others your glory and, and who you are. And so as we, as we go to your word this morning, first of all, Father, we recognize and we acknowledge that, that there is a lot of stuff going on in our world right now. There are a lot of people that are, have lost homes, have lost loved ones, are losing homes, uh, are losing loved ones, Father. And it, it just seems like, uh, it just seems as though things just are falling apart all around us. But we know because you are God and you are sovereign and you're in control, we have nothing to fear. Uh, that whatever comes our way, uh, that, Father, we know that you're still in control. We do pray, Father, uh, that you would bring comfort and peace to those that are experiencing floods and fires and uh, war right now around the world. Uh, we know from your scriptures that this is just, this is just part of your plan of, uh, of ushering in your Son. And so we wait. We say, Jesus, come. But Father, we also know that we've got a role to play, that, that there are a lot of people that don't know you, and so you've called us to be salt and light in the world. And so I ask, first of all, that you would, you would raise up in these areas where we've got all these tragedies taking place. Father, would you let the church have the loudest voice in a positive way, that you would let the church be the first to show up with food and with shelter and with love and care that people would see the works that they're doing and they would know as they've been questioning from all that they've lost is there a God but they would know it because of the love of your people so use us however you need to use us father uh, and and as well uh, now as we dig into your word show us then what you want us to do who you want us to be we love you we praise you amen you can have a seat so just continuing this theme as we talk about going back to school, um, for those of you who have ever sent your kids off to college, university, we're in the process of doing that right now, and I had conversations with my kids as they were looking at different schools and where they could go, and, and it was really, what, what it comes down to is you can get an education anywhere, right? You can, you can get the degree, you can learn what you need to learn, you can kind of just pick the school. The quality obviously might fluctuate based on the school, but one of the conversations that, that my daughter and I had was, what else do you get? Do you want to go to a place where that's where it's just about, you're just going to go and get an education and survive, you know, four years, hopefully four, hmm? uh, and, and, uh, and, and uh, or, or do you want to go somewhere that's going to actually support uh, this world that we, that we want to that we want to be a part of creating, right? The, that we want to proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you want to have a circle of friends that are like-minded and that are going to pray for you and walk alongside you? And, and, and there's ministry opportunity and as well, other experiences, right, that you get. I mean, whatever school you go to, you go to the sporting events or you're in music or and parents, you're kind of like, I love that my child goes to this school because the, the PTA is great and we have great connection. So you don't, it's not just about education. For those of you that homeschool, same thing. It's not just about education. It's what I get to invest into my kids and the people that I get to bring around us to do that. It's about so much more. And this morning, as we look at this text, that's what I want us to see. 
That, that when we talk about, as, as believers, we talk about accepting Christ. It's the greatest thing that you could ever hope for in the world is salvation through Jesus. And that's what you get when you accept Jesus. But what we need to understand is that you get a whole lot more, right? Some of the, some of the stuff that, that, you, that you get with Jesus are uh, bumps in the road because we're following Jesus. And, and he tells us that. There's, look, there's going to be some troubles that you're going to have because of me. There's going to be some suffering that you might even have to endure because of my name, but, but I'm with you, right? So even though, even though you get the bad stuff, you get, you get the greatest along with it. But also, you don't just get Jesus, you also get the body of Christ. You get people that are like-minded, that our hearts are going in the same direction. You get community, but on top of that, you get love and joy and peace and patience. Because you have Christ, we can endure in this world. And so the question is, do you embrace it every day that when you wake up, you go, man, I don't care what's going on around me. I have Jesus. And that is, it's, there's so much to that and so much that we want to explore into that and embrace and to uh, enjoy. The struggle that so many of us have is that, is that we've somehow convinced ourselves that, that accepting Jesus is just a prayer that we did at a concert one time, and now we're just sitting and sipping our coffee until some glad morning when this horrible world finally passes away and we get to get out of this place and spend an eternity with Him. And we forget that Jesus tells us, man, there is a lot of in-between. That, that, that once you accept me, now you let me be Lord and King over your life, and you saddle up for a gr- just an incredible adventure that we're going to have together. Are you willing to embrace it and to run with it and take whatever it is that I've got for you around each and every corner? One of the biggest things that we fail to see is that when we, when we finally see Christ as Lord and we let Him be Lord, it now gives us a whole new purpose in our life. Scripture tells us that prior to, to knowing Christ, our purpose is self-fulfillment, right? It is, is to do whatever we can to fulfill whatever selfish desires we have. And if we're all, if we're, if we're, all we're doing is focusing on ourself, uh, what we're doing is we're not giving glory to God. We're working against Him. Scripture calls that sin, and that needs to be put to death. And Jesus puts that to death, puts it in the grave. He rises from the grave when he defeats death. And he says, now I'm giving you life and life abundance. So go live it and enjoy it. So the question that we just start off with is, first of all, do you know that life? Do you know Jesus? Have you truly embraced who he is? Our text today is one that is kind of bizarre. If you you read ahead and and you got into this text, you're like, man, I'm really interested in what this thing is all about because... Uh, I've never done this as my daily devotions. My, li- my life, nobody's life verse is found in, in this passage, right? And so what is this whole thing all about? But, but I, I want to tell you that this passage is about what I just talked about. It is about so much more uh, than you uh, expected. And so the question is, what can we learn about Jesus today? Well, let's read it. Matthew 17. Uh, I want to read, start in verse 24. You might say, well, last week we ended uh, at 20 and 21, and what about those, those 22 and 23? We already covered those as we talked about Jesus once again uh, declaring that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was letting his disciples know, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to lay my life down for mankind. I'm going to die. They're going to put me in the grave, but I'm going to defeat that grave. And I'm going to come back from the dead. 
So coming off of that conversation, as they're coming down the mountain, having had the transfiguration, last week we talked about Jesus then drove the demon out of that boy, and, and now it's time to go home. They've been gone for a while. And so this is what our text says. If you would, let's stand together. Let me read this for you. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Peter said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to Peter first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take a, the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that, give it to them for me and for yourself. That's God's word. You're dismissed. No, you have, have a seat. I'm excited, if you can't tell already, I'm excited to just unpack for you what this is all about. So I'm coming off of this theme of if you're going to take Christ as Lord and Savior, you're making Jesus Put him in the place that, that he already is in the universe. You just need to let it into your life, letting him be king. Then what is it that, you, that you're choosing? And the first thing that I see from this text is you're choosing a person over a place. Let me explain. Because um, this obviously needs a lot of explanation. Jesus is now back in Capernaum. This is his home base for his ministry. Uh, he's kind of used it and then gone out from there. He's gone a lot. And they've been gone for quite a while, he and his disciples. Lots of things have taken place. They've now come home. Uh, and as they come home, uh, there are some tax collectors that are sitting there that Peter is approached by. Now, what we need to understand is in uh, ancient time, Jesus' day, in ancient Judea, there were two types of taxes that were put upon the people. One was, uh, was a government tax, and the other was religious tax. It seemed like I think living back then, it just seemed like every day, you're like, what am I paying now? And that's what it had grown to. That's why the people just couldn't stand tax collectors. Matthew actually is the only one that gives this narrative in all four of the Gospels. Over the last number of weeks, all these parts of the story, of Jesus' story, we've been able to say what Mark says about it, what Luke says about it. Mark and Luke don't talk about this, only Matthew does. And I think it's because he's a tax collector. He's like, I think this is pretty cool. I think people need to hear uh, about this. But the people in Jesus' day didn't like tax collectors. It seemed like they were just always hitting them for something. Import tax, export tax. Oh, you caught some fish? That's going to cost you. Oh, you're selling fish? Well, that's going to cost you. There was a war going on, so now everybody's got to pitch in a little more. And so we were just kind of getting hammered over and over and over again. Those were, that was government taxation, and that came through the Roman government. But there were also religious taxes that were there, and that's the tax that, that is being talked about here in this passage. And so there are people who have said, well, uh, it seemed to me from that passage in Matthew that Jesus didn't really ever have to pay tax, so I shouldn't have to either. False, right? There's so much in, in Scripture where Jesus says, we'll get to it, but respecting of the government, governing authorities that are over you. Uh, and so you follow the laws of the land. But this is, this is different. This is a religious tax that were, was placed uh, upon the people. Mark 12, Jesus said that. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Okay, so there you go. First lesson of the day, you got to pay your taxes. Um, but, but here we go. Peter gets approached by some religious 
tax collectors. They're probably sent from Jerusalem uh, annually. There was a, a season where they came to each town and, and they, would, they would take uh, two days wages, which was one, uh, it was a half a shekel is actually what it was. Uh, and also, as our passage says today, it was uh, the equivalent of, of two drachma. It was called the two drachma tax. Uh, and they were sent out village to village to, for people to just stop by voluntarily out of the, their, their love for the Lord and their obedience to Him that they would, that they would pay this tax. Uh, it was implemented, we find it in Exodus chapter 30. Um, and, and this is, just let me read it for you. This is what it says about it. Exodus chapter 30 starts in verse 11. And this was one that, that God actually told His people that they needed to participate in. The Lord said to Moses, When you take a census of the people of Israel, each of them should give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there would not be a plague among them when you number them. I'll explain in a minute. Each one who is numbered in the census should give this, half a shekel. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who's numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward should give this offering. The rich won't give more, the poor won't give less than a half a shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you should take the atonement money from the people of Israel and give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that is the tabernacle, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. So here's what God does. God lays it out to the people. He said, here's what you're going to do. There's going to be a tabernacle that's going to travel with you as you move through the desert, as you work to the promised land. And that tabernacle, we know, is the presence of God among the people. And it was in that tabernacle that the priests, the Levites, would perform all of the priestly duties on behalf of the people, the sacrifices and, and the offerings up to God. And so God said, well, the way that the tabernacle is going to get funded to, to get what we need to get, to do what we need to do, so the Levites can eat and they can survive, is that you're all going to just pay a small uh, portion. You're, you're just going to pay uh, uh, this, it was known as the ransom tax. And the reason that it's the ransom tax is because God says it's going to be atonement for you. It's going to be counted to you as righteousness whenever a census is taking, taken. Because what happens when, I mean, we all know this, if, if all of a sudden you start to let numbers get into your head and you start to, to, to take, let's say, a census of your nation, what do you think? Well, how do we compare to everybody else? Well, we're the, we're the biggest and the best, right? We're the baddest there is. And, and God says, you need to watch yourselves because you, you're, you're in your own humanity, you're always pulled toward pride and ego. And so when you ever you take a census of yourselves, you're going to see that there are hundreds of thousands of you. And every time that we go up against another nation to go to war, you're going to look at nothing but numbers. And you're going to decide, are we, going to, are we winning or are we losing based on how many of us there are and how many of them there are. And so God says, so here's what I want you to do. When you take a, a, a census, I want everybody to, to, to give a ransom tax to know that when they give, what they're giving to is a reminder that, that God is in their midst and He fights for them and He uh, protects them and He always provides, which is exactly what God did uh, all throughout as the people obeyed this. Well, one strange story that we find in 2 Samuel is this time of King David, right? King David is, we always hail him as this incredible hero, but he had some, he had some weaknesses. And one of them was that, that in his time of weakness, 
and he was struggling with, uh, with running this nation, and, and he had already fallen uh, into sin, is that, that he says, let's take a census. Let's take a census of our nation. And they do. And they number all of them. And, and God had said in Exodus, he said, I want you to, to take this tax because the people are, are making atonement. They're, it's a ransom to be reminded that, that I'm protecting them, that I'm providing, and I won't send a plague. But if you, if you just number yourselves for the sake of numbering you, and you let pride puff up, uh, I'm going to have to remind you who's in charge. I'm going to have to remind you of who the power is. And, and, and so, so take the tax. David doesn't. He just says he numbers the people, and immediately it says he felt sick to his stomach, and he realized what he had done. And then God comes to him, and God is gracious enough to say, well, David, which plague? And so, so God sends the plague of pestilence, it says. All the animals in the nation are wiped out, and because of it, famine and 70,000 people died because they didn't obey what God had said. Now, we're, we're moving somewhere with this. The idea behind all of it was that when you give, this is a reminder that God is the provider, God is the protector. You're not paying Him to do His job, you're giving out of gratitude and a reminder that this is, I'm, I'm giving away to say, it, this is not about me and my power, my strength, what I want, but, but God, you get to do whatever it is that you want to do. And in order for us to continually offer what it is that we need to offer you, uh, we'll give of ourselves. It's also a reason why when the nation of Israel was divided up and they all got land, when they got to the promised land, the Levites didn't because their job was to take care of the, of the temple and, and the workings of the temple. And so the money that was given uh, out of this tax uh, gave them what it is that they needed. So they didn't need an inheritance from the land because they were getting it already from two days' wages of everybody who's 20 years and older uh, in the nation. They were being taken care of. So Jesus comes into the world now. It's a lot later than the tabernacle, much later than David. By now, it's the second temple that's been constructed. First temple had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar about 600 years before Jesus. Another temple that, that King Herod oversaw uh, was rebuilt. Uh, but the, the, the activity of the, of the temple now took over the activity of the tabernacle. When they traveled in the wilderness, it was a traveling temple. But again, everything about that, te- that tabernacle and everything about the temple was pointing to the coming Savior. All of the activity that went on uh, would, would cease when the Savior of the world would show up, when the true Lamb of God would show up, when the final sacrifice would show up. There was no need anymore for all of the activity, the endless sacrifices, all of the blood that was being shed in the temple. The temple was considered to be the center of Jewish worship. Its upkeep was expensive, so obviously these tax collectors would set up shop and collect from people, but people struggled with it by now. Because now they, they have the Roman government that they hated, that was taxing them for everything. Now we got these religious leaders that are coming in and taking money. How do we know that you're not in cahoots with the, with the government? So a lot of people were resistant to give that tax. A lot of people also felt that, that since the Levites didn't, don't need to give, the priests in the temple don't need to give, then maybe the rabbis and the spiritual leaders don't need to give as well. And so all of this could have been going on in the head, of the head of the tax collectors to ask the question, hey, does your teacher pay the tax? Jesus was also, uh, he was a wanderer. 
right? He, he didn't have a place to lay his head. His home base was Capernaum, but he was always coming and going. Maybe these tax collectors are like, man, we just see this guy coming and going. Where's his hometown? Is he paying, is he paying his tax for the temple? And Peter's response is, it's just, yes, he does. Peter then goes into the house, and we don't know what, what took place, but, but Jesus' question to Peter is, hey, Peter, what do you think? So how I understand it uh, is, is that possibly the disciples all come in, and they're hanging out with Jesus, and, and Jesus is like, hey, where's Peter? Oh, he got caught by the, he got caught by the temple tax uh, collectors, uh, and, and uh, he's having a conversation with them. So who knows? Peter comes in the house and Jesus, well, Peter, what do you think? We've been having this conversation about paying this temple tax. So what is it that you think? He says, from whom do the kings of the earth take their taxes? From their sons or from others? Well, it's an easy question, right? The sons of kings aren't held accountable for anything. You don't have to pay a tax. Dad just takes care of you. So you don't, you don't have to pay it. The sons are free, Jesus says. When we piece all of this together, all right? I'm going to land the plane here for you. What we understand, as I said, the, temp, the tabernacle, the temple, was all designed by God to point to the coming Savior of the world. That's why when Jesus takes his final breath on that cross, the temple curtain is torn in two. The presence of God is no longer confined to the people in a small room in the middle of Jerusalem, but the temple curtain is torn in two, and the presence of God is now available to all men at any time through Christ. The final sacrament, that blood that was poured out on the, whole, on the Holy of Holies, in the Holy of Holies, on the, on the seat, uh, the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, one day of the year from a perfect lamb. That blood comes now from a perfect Savior, God Himself in the flesh, poured out for all time, for all of humanity. Everything about the temple was designed to point to the coming Messiah, sacrifice, blood, holiness, presence of God. It was all about Jesus. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 2, 19, really early on, he said, look, you can destroy this temple, but in three days I'm going to rebuild it. And they didn't understand what he was saying. And what he was saying was, you know, that temple that you have, it's a great thing. It was instituted by God, but it was all about me. I'm, I'm the temple. I'm the presence of God in your midst right now. The Son of God, this is what it all comes down to, the Son of God, the Son of the great creator of the universe who designed the temple, provided for it, was all about Him. The Son of God does not need to pay the ransom tax. Why? Because He is the ransom tax. He's the one that would give up His entire life so that nobody would have to perish, that nobody would have to die. For all of humanity, so that we could be saved from, from what? From the punishment that we deserve because of our pride. That's what God said. Pay the ransom tax. Pay for the operations of the temple. 
so that a plague won't come. So in other words, so death won't come upon you because you've numbered yourself, because you thought of yourself so greatly. So what do we need to do? We need to humble ourselves and we accept Christ for who He is. So short and small little application in all of this, that when we accept Christ, we, we understand that we're getting a person over a place. Because so many people still to this day, even though, no matter how much we talk about it, think that our faith in Jesus is just all about this building for one hour a week. And, and that's, all, that's all. I need to check in, you know, make sure that somebody saw me. Hopefully God saw me and he counts it to me for righteousness. It doesn't count. The reason that we come here is because of what Christ did for us. The reason that we gather here is because that God sent His one and only Son to give up His life for us, and He rescued us, and He redeemed us. And we're like, I just want to tell God how much I love Him, and I want to be with a bunch of other people who are doing the same thing. And I want to, I want to motivate others and, and walk alongside each other to go out and to tell the world. And I just want to grow, and I want to praise Him. And that's why we come here. We come here so that we can then go out. Right? Coming here it doesn't make us a better Christian. Right? That God doesn't see us here and go, well, a little bit of good luck for you this week. That's not how he works. We got to remember that Jesus, we, when we accept Jesus, we get Jesus. And, and this doesn't become a burden. Well, we got to go to church. This is not the church. You are the church. Called to go out and to take the gospel to the world. When we accept Jesus, we accept all that he has to offer us, and, and we get God in the flesh in our lives, and for that, we need to be grateful. The second thing we need to decide is that we're going to choose souls over self. Um, Jesus' response to Peter, he just gets done saying, right? Uh, basically, what Jesus is saying without saying it is, hey, Peter, I, I don't I don't, ha- I don't have to pay the tax, right? Because, because that whole tax thing is all about me in the first place, right? I am the great high priest. I do the work. I am the son of God. I am the king, so I shouldn't have to. But he doesn't say that. What does he say? He, he says, but as to not give offense, as to not give offense, in other words, I'm going to pay it because, because that matters, because I don't want to offend them. That word is, is uh, in, in the ancient language, is uh, scandalizo, and it just, that's where we get the word scandal, and it means a stumbling block or a poor example or a negative influence, and that's exactly what, what Jesus is doing. He did not have to pay the tax, not just because he was the son of God, and not just because the temple was all about him, but also there, there was also uh, parts of the law that said that, that if, you were, if you were broke and you had nothing and you were raising support on your own, uh, then, then you also didn't have to give. It wasn't in what Moses had to say, but over the years it had grown into that tradition. And what we find in Luke chapter 8 verse 3 is that Jesus' ministry was fully funded by other people. And so he really honestly did not have to give uh, this tax on a number of different levels. But these collectors didn't know who he was. They came from Jerusalem. They probably maybe had heard about him, um, but they didn't fully understand 
all that Jesus had been teaching about himself. And so to not pay that tax, and they're, they're asking about it. Does your teacher pay the tax? Uh, Jesus knows, if, well, if I don't, it could incite trouble. Right? It could cause uh, a lot of trouble for those collectors because they're going to have to go back to Jerusalem. They're going to have to answer to their leadership who are going to say, you know, how did you do? Well, there's this guy up in Galilee, and he's got thousands of followers, and he's got a real movement going, but he refuses to pay the tax. And, and so what would have happened is they would say, well, go back and get it. Well, he won't give it to us. Well, then get some soldiers and shake them down for it. And it would have caused a lot of trouble that Jesus didn't want to necessarily be a part of it. But on top of it also, it would also give a very negative view of Jesus. That he's teaching something totally different than what the law actually said that people had to obey. And, and Jesus made it very clear, you're not going to understand all of this until I'm resurrected and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then it will all make sense. But these guys, these tax collectors, they didn't necessarily understand it. His position and power was unknown. And it might have caused them to think, too, that we've got this, this religious leader that really doesn't care about the temple, which then in turn may have caused them. They could have very easily been led astray. Like, well, I guess we don't care either. And caused them to reject the other side would cause him to reject Jesus because he didn't care. Jesus didn't want to cause offense. He didn't want to send them the wrong way. He didn't want to be a stumbling block when they didn't fully understand. And, and I just say, what a great application for us. Jesus lived life on mission at all times, fulfilling God's mission and, and preaching a message to people about who God is, who He is, and redemption that is there, the forgiveness of sins. And it would have been really difficult for people to accept the message of Jesus if they didn't like the man. Oh man, He just does whatever He wants. He breaks all the rules. He doesn't obey anything. And so as to not be an offense to them, Jesus says, but I'll, I don't have to do it, but I will. Every one of us, as followers of Christ, we have got to pay incredibly close attention as to how our action or our inaction impacts our evangelistic mission, the message that we preach. How is the life that you're living, because you can claim whatever your rights are, right? I don't even get into the last three years of the disaster that we've had as a culture of everybody running around and claiming, I don't have to, I have to, you have to, have, and getting on each other. And we see Jesus just goes, you know what? As to not lead people astray, I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing. So we're just going to get that part out of the way, and I'm going to pay the tax because I care so much about people. And, and people need to, to see somebody that, that cares. It's a great lesson for all of us to learn. Romans 13.1 says, first of all, submit to the governing authorities, and in doing so, you honor God who placed them there. It's a hard thing for so many of us to wrap our minds around. What do you mean? Because some of the leaders in, in my life, I, don't, I really don't want to follow. And Scripture says, but God put them there for a reason. So you have, to, you have to honor them. What other rights do you claim as a believer that you maybe need to give up in your life in order for the sake of those who don't believe. Right? It's a free country. I can say whatever I want about whoever I want. 
Yeah, you can according to uh, law, but according to God's word, you can't. You can't say anything or do anything that's going to cause people to not like Jesus because you're a jerk. It's just plain and simple. Sorry, I don't, whoever I pointed at, I didn't mean that. That wasn't you. They're like, hey, no, nobody turned around. But, but that's the thing. You know, you, you have got to follow the example of Jesus. He says, look, I don't want to lead anybody astray. I don't want to lead anybody away from, from not loving God because, because I'm not loving. 1 Peter 2.12 says, let your conduct among the unbelievers be honorable so that they would see the life that you live and they will glorify God. Not the life that you live and then want to be like you. Oh, what? you're such a hero, right? You stand and you fight for, for our rights. No, we're supposed to lay our lives down and we're supposed to live honorable lives that people see and go, man, I don't know how you live that way in the midst of all that's going on in the world. Um, and you just go, well, it's just, I guess it's just the power of God in me. And they say, well, I want that God. It's not about us at all. Verse 16 of 1 Peter 2 goes on to say, live as people who are free, but never use your freedom as a cover-up for doing evil, but live as servants of God. Honor everybody, love others, fear God, honor the king, endure in the world that we live in, and even suffer, just as Christ suffered, but he committed no sin. Jesus lived into his words of Matthew 5, 9, where he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Ask yourself, am I a peacemaker or, or am I a, a destroyer of peace with the life that I live? Finally, uh, I'll just end with this. This is where it all comes uh, to just a really great conclusion. You know, Jesus does something super bizarre. He's like, so Peter, go, I want you to go throw a hook in the water. I want you to catch a fish. When you catch that fish, what you're going to find in it is you're going to find a shekel in its mouth. And I want you to use that shekel uh, to go pay my tax and, you know, get a little something for yourself. No, he's, he says, he says, and pay yours as well. Here's why. This is what it all comes. First of all, this is, the, this is the first miracle that Jesus does directly for one of his disciples. He, they've all been witnesses to it. But now Peter gets to experience this all alone as he has to trust and obey Jesus and go to the water. Peter's a fisherman. But he's typically a fisherman. When Jesus finds him, he's a net fisherman where they haul in all this fish. This time Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to throw one hook in. And the first thing that you catch, there's going to be a coin in that fish's mouth. Right? Because Jesus has dominion over all of creation to, so that he can do whatever he needs to do so that God would be glorified. And that's exactly what happens. And Peter goes. We don't read that it took place, but it's assumed. Peter goes in obedience. He throws the hook in, pulls it out. And inside there's a shekel. And the, the crazy thing about this, here's what I love, is that, uh, that the, the tax was a half a shekel, but in ancient times there was no half shekel coin. There was only the one shekel. And the way that, that, that you presented it for your, to pay your ransom tax was that you found somebody else. And you said, come along with me, we're going to do this thing together. And the beauty of all of this is the message that that's the gospel. Jesus says, go, Peter, and I'm going to provide for you. Uh, I'm going to pay my ransom tax that I shouldn't have to pay because of who I am, but I'm going to pay it. And I'm going to provide for you, Peter, somebody who should pay it, who has to pay it, but I'm going to pay your ransom for you. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ did not have to pay the ransom. 
But he laid down his life for each and every one of us. He chose to. And you don't have to pay the ransom because he chose to pay it for you. How amazing is God? How amazing is his word? How amazing is Jesus? Do you accept it today? Jesus saved you from death by paying the price that he did not have to pay because he is God and he's king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your beautiful word that even in in these passages that we look at and we go, what in the world, God, that you are giving us clear as day what, what it is that we're supposed to know. That you sent your son because you desire that none should perish because of our pride, our selfishness, our going our own way. But you rescued us through your son who paid the ransom, gave his life up for each and every one of us so that we would not have to pay the price of of taking on your wrath in our lives. Thank you for your rescue. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for being our king. Amen.